Hey, Alan, uh, got some new members of the IT Book Club. The IT Book Club going strong. At least three members now, Rob. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's, it's coming up, Alan. It's coming up. Uh, we've got uh, one of our newer members. It's, uh, it's titled Great Concept. Great Concept. Iffy on the execution. <laughs> it's from, actually, it's from a fellow podcaster. It's from the Besotted Geek Podcast. I do like the Besotted Geek Podcast. I do, too. I like both Mr. and Mrs. Besotted Geek. Peacock and the Stork. And uh, they wrote, uh, Rob and Alan have come up with a truly ingenious idea for a podcast and pull it off magnificently. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do for weird pulp stories what MST3K and Rift Tracks do for movies. One host reads, the other skewers, interjecting with jokes and humorous observations. If you're a fan of pod- comedy podcasts and or audiobooks, you have to check it out now. Wait, you have to check out this show. <laughs> <laughs> because it's all about reading. <laughs> Clearly, all about reading well and not flubbing your lines. (laughs) Thank you to the Facade Geek podcast. They're great. Uh, They have a very good both Twitter feed and podcast. So, um, and we did not in any way bribe them or trade them. They're just awesome people. So, thank you guys. It's time, time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends. Another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my chum and confidant, Alan. How are you, Alan? I'm tired, Rob. Tired of what? Tired of this town. <laughs> Gotta get out of here, man. Gotta get out of here. The rock out of Dodge. Well, maybe this will uh, wake you up a little. This week, we have a tale of mystery and nosiness uh, from the December 1939 issue of Famous Fantastic Mysteries. And uh, it is neither famous and arguably fantastic. Uh, it's called Who is Charles Avison? And it's by the awesomely named Edison Tesla Marshall. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is actually his real name. Yeah, sure. It's his real name. According to Wikipedia, Come it on. is his real name. He wrote uh-huh. the book The Vikings, which okay. the, the uh, Kirk uh, Douglas movie was based on. And his name is uh, Edison Marshall. And he... And he founded Tesla, the band. Oh. <laughs> You know how I should have known that, Rob? How? Signs. <laughs> Everywhere, man. Everywhere. So uh, now it's time to grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. No one knew what was going on behind the high board fence at the Avison place, which was difficult to climb. Oh yeah, but I can guess. Hot tub stuff. <laughs> I like to make my fences as easy as possible for gawkers to climb, personally. Just checking out what's going on in your hot tub. Hey, you scrubbing it so that you don't get high levels of bacteria? <laughs> yeah, Hot. you know it. <laughs> Besides, Avison's stolid neighbors were reluctant to show so much curiosity. But a few boys lived in the neighborhood who were not troubled by such a sense of decorum. The tallest of them boosted another of the gang until a pair of round eyes gazed between the pickets. However, the report that the spy made to the other boys and later to his parents was certainly far from enlightening. He had seen the big house, of course, with its trim lawns and walks. He Also, he had seen another building that had been erected since the fence. It was built much like a garage, but didn't quite look like a garage either. That's a box, man. If it's 
missing the essentials of a garage. Let's let's say a, a big door. Then it's a box. <laughs> Got a big box in the back of my yard. Uh, oh, yeah. That's going to yeah. affect the value of the home, I wonder. Uh, can you get in it? No. Don't take out a home equity for just a box, man. That's not going to have a lot of resale value. <laughs> Protruding out of it was the queerest thing. Almost like a huge egg of blue steel with slabs of heavy glass and many encircling bands of iron. Okay, it's time. We're going to play vibrator or paladin weapon. <laughs> uh, can it be both? <laughs> Depends on whether you're a fallen paladin or not, I guess. They're the best kind. Yeah, they are. <laughs> it was... It was some time after this that another boy, returning into late dusk from his milk delivery, had a story to tell that no one had ever quite believed. As he talked, his face flushed and his eyes widened. He said something almost spherical in shape. Mm, a ball? <laughs> kid, kid needs to work on his shapes. <laughs> Dark, except for lighted windows, had rolled up into the air above the fence, straight up, unwaveringly, and had kept on going. The boy had watched it till the haze of evening shut it from his sight, until it had vanished among the early stars. You imagined it, my son, said his father. Yes, Earth boy, I contributed chromosomes to it is nothing at all. Certainly not pod people fleeing their devastated planet to harvest new resources in Thraxis 9423 that we Earth people call Earth. Now, excuse me, but would you look closely at this plant, son? Oh, okay, sure. What do you... <laughs> what am I looking at? <laughs> no, I didn't. I saw it as plain as I see you. Well, concluded the father, we'll probably know what it was in the morning. Once we've slept this wallbanger of a night off and the green fairies go to bed, son. <laughs> Wallbangers all around. This is America. But dear, he added, turning to his wife, that Avison is quite a scientist. The delivery boy wandered into the wrong door at the Avison place one day, and he told me how he went into the uncanniest looking room he was ever in. A laboratory of some kind was in it with big machines of porcelain and steel and copper. Like another friggin' microbrewery. <sighs> when will America learn that all these local places are putting big faceless breweries out of business? I know, I can barely even get a non-craft beer nowadays. You have to ask for it, Alan, ask. I'm really worried about Diageo's stock price. <laughs> and you know... He wrote some sort of a scientific article, just when he got out of college, supplemented his wife. It caused quite a sensation among the scientists. Yes, it was one of the top 3,000 papers that quarter in the Academic Society for Publishing Rather Than Perishing. Such a sensation. I mean, the editor browsed it. <laughs> I mean, the typesetter glanced at a good couple paragraphs. That's a lot of eyeballs on one paper. That's right. It was about gravity, wasn't it? Let's see. That was four years ago. I'd almost forgotten. He's a smart young chap, all right. But why doesn't he go into business? The woman protested. He's been engaged for almost a year now to that cold girl. You know, and if something should happen to him... What? What? <laughs> where, where did that come from? And what does she mean by it? <laughs> I think she knows, Alan. You know, Jenny from the office is thinking about taking a water aerobics class, and if something should happen to her instructor... <laughs> Let's just say she's got a plan for everyone in the neighborhood. Oh, well. He's probably pretty careful. And you're sure he didn't imagine it, son? Or dream it? I'm sure, sir, replied the boy. Nor had he dreamed or imagined it. And had Charles Avison wished... He could have surprised even more the scientific world, but he wished to wait. It was true he had been engaged to Agnes Cole for 12 months. Oh, yeah. Jagnus. <laughs> you know who I feel bad for, though? Who? Jennifer Garner. Oh, you didn't hear about that? <laughs> no. 
No, very messy. Very yeah. messy. Oh, that, that cad. In truth, she was mightily afraid of an accident to the young scientist. Even Avison had confessed to the danger of his latest experiment of his. The afternoon before the Vulcan ascended... I told you, Charles, I'm not going to call it that <laughs> even after we're married. <laughs> but... <laughs> They got the name tattooed on, on the side and everything. That was a mistake. We never discussed that. <laughs> Avison had spent with Agnes. They had had a long talk in which he told her much of his plan, but little of the danger. But there was a chance, he said, that he would not be at hand to marry her on the June day selected. Let's just say science is a harsh mistress, and yes, I am referring to my lab assistant, Wanda Science, who I have decided to elope with. Wanda Science? Oh, she's a very sexy, bookish lady. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame I majored in uh, philosophy, because uh, uh, Myra Ethics just, just wasn't doing it for me. Uh, she tried to dissuade him. I must go, he said. You can't imagine how much it means. But I'm sure nothing will happen. It'll be like season two of Jessica Jones of rocket ship flights. Ouch. Still on season one, no spoilers. Uh, Except that it's boring. <laughs> is don't watch him a spoiler? <laughs> oh, I'll come back, all right. My trial flight was a wonderful success. His great dark eyes glowed at the thought of it. Goodbye, dearest. They'd kissed, and she had cried. Then, from the porch of her home, she had seen the strange dark bubble of a thing float away into the skies. A few nights later, the farmers, thirty miles from Avison's home, might have observed a few spots of light hovering in the air over the wide field of a deserted farm. They might have discerned the light spots dart back and forth, then down, then up away, and then descend to earth. But it is not recorded that any man was awake to see. I think you'll find that incorrect, because I've read Whitley Strieber, and uh, it was not great. No, but it's it's always amazing to me when science fiction writers have amazing paranormal um, things that happen to them and happen to suddenly have a great career. Those are the ones that aliens are interested in, Rob. Oh. People with imaginations and not a lot of steady income. <laughs> Charles Avison unscrewed the round door of the Vulcan and crept out. Instantly, the delight died from its windows. At first, he could not stand, but staggered twice and fell in a heap under the curved side of the machine. He lay a little while, then flashed his light about and into the door of a great deserted barn in front of which his machine had alighted. Avison Log, Galacto Date 736-382. Today I have arrived on a strange planet, which I will name Avison Land, where herds of ruminants have fashioned crude homes out of wood and straw and worship metal idols that look suspiciously like tractors and... Oh, okay, I see it now. <laughs> suspiciously he climbed to his feet and steadied himself it's really possible that there's <laughs> a shared racial mythos that that all alien species have rob oh, see I, not, I, based on tractors based on tractors yes he climbed to his feet and steadied himself after a little while he thrust his shoulder against the dark sphere and rolled it as silently as a great snowball into the high doorway then he glanced at his watch. Not far from morning, he said. Wait, is he just like back to the futuring it in that barn? Mm -hmm. Didn't expect that. Is that making out with his mom? Or <laughs> is that what we're talking about? <laughs> no. I... We could be talking about it, though. We could have a podcast about that more. Oh, boy. Uh, he walked unsteadily toward the road. Avison congratulated himself on his nearness to home. A few hours before, when he had awakened from unconsciousness, he had been over water. He had risen from the bottom of the sphere where he had fallen, with swimming head and drumming ears, and getting his bearings, had guided the machine toward home. Now that's, that's how you know you've been on a great booze cruise, when even the captain gets soused and takes you to 
outer space. I, I don't know, honestly. I was just seasick the whole time. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> I remember some guy swimming around with a tray of beers on his head. That's that's really the last thing I remember. Just throwing up through the Vulcan's portholes. <laughs> is, is that what the kids are calling it nowadays? No, they're not. His light was failing when he was still 30 miles away, however, so he had thought it safer to descend. His experiment had been a success. Then he began to wonder what had occurred in that brief period of unconsciousness. And was it so brief? His watch had said 3.40 just before he had fainted, and 4.35 just after he had awakened. Uh, I myself used to check the time every five minutes just in case I faint or go into a coma. But, uh, you know, modern technology makes that a lot easier. Hey, Siri, have I fainted yet? <laughs> Here are the search results for have I fainted yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. Uh, Siri, tell Jeff Goldblum a joke. <laughs> but had it been one hour or 25? Or... 13 if I decided to stop using military time, or negative one hours if I'd crossed into one of those weird Indiana counties, or... You know what? This is actually a calculator watch. I remember now. I was just figuring the tip on a Red Robin burger, and it was delicious, but the waiter was rude, so... <clears throat> not, not accurate, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not sure how to calculate that. His ears still rang. He walked drunkenly. He sat down in a fence corner to await daylight. He saw the stars. His companions, he called them, begin to dim as a wide ribbon of grayish-blue showed above the eastern horizon. He saw this ribbon widen still more, and soon he could detect the lines of his hands. At his feet were flowers, wet with dew. Avison lighted a cigar, but he could hardly see the smoke in the bluish dawn. But before the fire in it became too warm for his fingers, it was daylight. Rob, what is going on here? Mm. I thought we were going to get a thrilling story of space exploration, and instead it's all fence-leaning and watch-looking. It's a fabulous, uh, famous uh, story, Alan. Yeah, well, with a name like Edison Tesla Marshall, <laughs> you, actually, I thought it would be better, yeah. <laughs> he arose and looked about. He knew the place. Another exciting thing. He knew the place where he had landed. Hey, that looks familiar. <laughs> the rest of the story is just his walk home. Um, Buckle in, Ron. Oh, no, it is. No. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a professional. <clears throat> he had driven along the road many times in his car. He knew the great barn where he had housed the Vulcan. The long line of straggly telephone poles. The spine-like row of poplars beside the creek. Just 30 miles to home and Agnes. Well, yeah, 30 miles away. Of course I recognize that fairly nondescript plot of land that's 45 minutes from my house. You know, the one with the telephone lines and the trees and, um, you know, the sky's always blue out there and people have two arms. You can't miss it. He would start to walk to the nearest railway station. Some friend in a car would probably pick him up. But somehow, Avison did not know how or what or why, something, everything, did not seem natural. He could not be mistaken in the place. The trees, the farms, the houses, even the fence posts were familiar. But that queer, haunting feeling of unfamiliarity remained. He could not shake it off. It must be that he had not yet completely recovered from his fainting. Oh, okay. Is this the one where he's on a train that keeps going to the same station? Or is it the one where he's a ballerina in a box? I, I think it's the one where he's a mannequin and he's allowed out one month a year. <laughs> to, to just Vulcan it up, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, party hard. Okay. He started along the road. He laughed when he saw a deep rut that had once broken a spring of his car. Here was the muddy spot where a tiny creek seeped across the highway. Here was the bridge, with its familiar hole, where Octavius, his favorite horse, always shied. <laughs> he, he's got a car. Was 
Octavius a rental horse from the dealership while he fixed the spring? I just had a feeling that uh, Edison Tesla Marshall cannot name anything except in a ridiculous way. Like his horse is Octavius. I'm sorry we, we don't have a comparable SUV, but we've got a nag who is named after uh, Julius Caesar's nephew, one of the greatest emperors of Rome. Um, what do you feel about that? Uh, does the insurance come with the nag? Or not? Uh, you got to pay extra for collision. Uh, what about a saddle? Free GPS? Okay, but you're going to have to pay the tolls. All right, deal. Tolls and carrots on me. <laughs> the ringing in his ears had gone now. He walked perfectly straight. His head no longer swam. But the feeling of alienation was as marked as ever. Avison became a little frightened. Even though he knew the road perfectly, he tested his knowledge. Soon he would arrive at the crossroads, where the lane turned off toward the old fairgrounds. Yes, he came to the place just where he thought it would be. And it smelled like slightly rancid frying oil and lucky strikes just like he remembered. And he could hear Night Ranger playing half-heartedly to tepid applause off in the distance. Motoring. Yeah. Yeah. But why was it that everything was the same and yet different? He knew even the ruts of the road and the crack in the telephone post where the lightning had once struck. Wait, we're still 30 miles away from his house, right? I don't know. I'm thinking about a guy who's yelling, play love hurts. And they're like, that's Nazareth. But uh, we know those guys. So yeah, we'll play love hurts. <laughs> they're just happy to be there, quite frankly. He knew the quiet fields of grain, the pretty farm homes, the horses in the fields. Yet he felt he knew it now that something was terribly different. Oh, wait. No, okay. This is the one where Claude Aikens stops in a diner. Oh, and the guy has that hat, takes it off. No. There's another little Claude Aikens inside it. No. I think oh. we're getting our Claude Aikens mixed up. As usual. He saw the farmers on their way to the dairy barns. He heard the windmills creaking and the call of the hired men as they hitched their teams to the farming implements. The world about him was commonplace and ordinary just as always on a late spring morning in the country, but he could not shake off the elusive feeling. Or find a way to advance the plot, if only. <laughs> Should have invented that. He tried to. He tried to think of other things. He whistled and smoked again, but found it useless. He heard an automobile behind him, the commonplace honk of the horn and the chug of the engine. A touring car, bearing only a driver, came up to him. The car stopped as Avison waved his arm. Can you give me a lift? The scientist called. Sure. Uh, wonderful. Now, let me just check whether I have some gas or grass on me. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to cost him. Avison took a seat beside the driver and looked at him searchingly. You're Johnston, aren't you? He asked as the car started. Yes, but I don't remember you, the other man said. Uh, well, we... Went to prom together, but okay, yeah, I guess you don't remember. <laughs> What's really ironic is that the theme for the prom was A Night Will Always Remember. Just let that sit there. My name is Avison. Charles Avison. Johnston looked at him quickly. Are you Charles Avison? He asked. I've heard of you many times. He stretched out a gauntleted hand and found his companion's thin, long-fingered one. We can't be far from Smithford, can we? Avison asked. Smithford was a little town, but a few miles from his home. About fifteen miles, replied the driver. And what are you doing along this road at this hour, may I ask? Taking a morning walk, replied Avison. Mm, half walk. Don't try to pull one over on your Fitbit. It, it knows. <laughs> the road was becoming more familiar. He knew many of the names that he saw in the mailboxes. You can't run 23 miles an hour, okay, man? <laughs> I only put it on the dog for a few minutes, all right? He knew the dog that barked from the gateway of a farmhouse. A dog that had always barked at him. But yet he was perplexed and bewildered by the lingering sensation of unfamiliarity. After ten miles, the automobile slowed. I have to turn here, said Johnston. 
Which way are you going? Straight on, I guess. And thank you. Avison hopped out of the slowly moving car and started again down the dusty road. <laughs> yeah, just start running in the air when you leap out and ground to catch up with you. Fred Flintstone style. He began to wonder why Johnston had not recognized him. They had passed each other several times. Avison put his hands to his face. He felt several days' growth of hair. Of course, that was the reason. He needed to shave very badly on the day of his ascent. And in the five days at least that he was in the air, a black growth had covered his cheeks and chin, and his face felt thinner. The bones protruded. And he put his hair up in a bun and wore his glasses, which is probably why Johnson hadn't realized he was all that at first. <laughs> Soon he passed a farmhouse, one where he had often stopped for a meal while quail hunting. So he entered the gate. He was hungry for a warm breakfast again. He knew the dog that came to meet him and patted its furry head. The old woman at the doorway did not recognize him. He told her what he wanted, and she led him to the kitchen. He washed in a basin at the back and looked himself in the glass. No wonder the others had not known him. His face was much thinner. Great, dark bags hung beneath his eyes. Oh, he should use that philosophy, hope in a beaker. It's especially formulated for scientists, from. It's part of their whole line of scientist-based products. Yeah, their whole line of thick shampoo that <laughs> totally, totally helps something with your pores. I don't know. <laughs> Who would have thought that the days in the air could have taken such a physical strain? His white, hollow cheeks and wide black eyes, in contrast to the black hair, shocked him. No wonder he remained unknown to Johnston and the woman. And that they had never met somebody by his name. So that all checks out. <laughs> How dare that woman with no name not recognize him and give him <laughs> breakfast. During the meal, he asked but one question. And it was a peculiar one. What's the date? He asked. The old woman looked up quickly. 24th, she replied. Avison had gone up on the 16th. He had been two days unconscious. And still the brooding strangeness perplexed and bewildered him. Again, he was out on the road. He picked up another ride soon, and when he came to Smithford, he took off the grease-stained clothes he had worn on the air journey. He laughed at himself, and the suit he had just bought. In bad need of a haircut and shave, and in different clothes, he wondered if Agnes would know him. Mm -hmm. Wow, those two are still at the may not recognize me if I don't shave for a couple of days stage of their relationship. <laughs> uh, yes, Your Honor, this couldn't be my fiancé, Charles. He looks a little grubby, and I think he may even have farted, which is wholly impossible. <laughs> we've, we've known each other for months. It can't be possible. Of course not. Small town was at the end of his walk. He could take the train from there. To, oh, God, so it's not that town. Sorry. He could take the train from there to his home. He walked about the town, although he was well known there, and many people looked at him interestedly. None came up to speak of, to him. He laughed to himself over the fact that even an old friend did not know him. Okay, now, now I remember. This is the one where you get to minute seven and you're like, okay, we get it. But Rod really hammers it home for 20 more minutes. <laughs> the more he shows up in an episode, yeah, the more trouble it is. The train, the slow old train in which he had so often ridden, pulled in an hour later. By now it was noon. The Avison place was scarcely a half hour's ride away which we will follow in real time right now. <sighs> he remembered the worn-out plush on the seat of the cars, the conductor who punched his ticket, but always something was not quite the same. The trip has affected my mind, he said at last. Oh, that one's going in my big book of understated quotes about LSD. <laughs> Is it big because of so many trips or just the large, scrawled words? It's, um, it's just marketing, Rob. <laughs> he could almost scream at the harassment of it all. He could not analyze or place his finger on the difference. But it was there. It was everywhere. 
The change of circumstance brooded about him and haunted him and made him grip his hands. His eyes widened at the thought of it. Was he asleep or hurt or dead? Dead! Anything was possible to him now. What if he were dead? No more credit card debt, baby! Win-win! <laughs> Just tearing up those bills. Wait, he still had to pay for the train, though, so that kind of sucks. I'm tearing up the ticket anyways. I'm on the tear and tear. <laughs> then he laughed at himself for being a fool. The laugh was hysterical. The train newsie eyed him suspiciously. He pinched himself on the arm, and the hurt was real. But something had changed him, or changed the world in which he lived. The train stopped at last at Avison's own town, at the outskirts of which stood his own house. Agnes lived here, too. Half frightened, Avison wondered whether Agnes would know him. But it would be good sport if she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, just like when Mary thought George was a crazy molester and It's a Wonderful Life. But good fun. Favorite part of the movie. Come she on. was very terrified. She was horrified. Uh, so he dropped into a secondhand store and traded his trim cap for an old battered hat. This he pulled down over his eyes and started down the quiet street. Some boys stared at him as he passed, but no one spoke in recognition. A dog that he knew slunk away from him. Oh, come on, Airbud. Don't pretend you don't know me. I'm the one who taught you to play basketball. <laughs> Even the town was different. Yes, the stores and the people in the fountains and the sparrows in the streets and the signs were all the same in every physical particular. But there had been a change. And Davison swore at himself. At a street corner, he saw a group of men talking quietly. Although they glanced at him, they did not speak to him. And yet he knew every one of them. As he passed, he heard his name mentioned. He paused a minute, as if to stare across the street. I knew it would happen sometime, old Felix Barnes was saying. I told him so a hundred times. But he would go on making experiments. It's a good thing his mother isn't alive. It would about kill her. Not quite kill her, you understand about kill her which is not the same thing and i feel like i as a random guy in the street am the one who should have the ultimate call on that and and they say agnes Coe is just prostrated said another of the group no come on come on bill that is a pretty rude thing to say no no you you misheard me all i meant is that she's always laying with her face down and her rear in the air <laughs> no okay no guys <laughs> What I'm saying is that she's procumbent. Maybe I'm not saying it, maybe I'm not saying it right. Procumbent. <laughs> Bill, I think we got it. Good. <laughs> Agnes Cole. Avison listened more attentively. The funeral procession ought to start soon, said another. A ghastly feeling of sickness rose in Avison. He clenched his hands. How did it happen anyway? Does anybody know? asked a youth. I just got back to town, and this is the first I've heard of it. And this scenario seems perfect for some concise exposition. <laughs> From under his arm, Barnes drew a folded newspaper, which he opened slowly. Here's the account, as much as anyone knows, he explained. Davison went up on the 16th for a four-day trip, according to Miss Cole. He had some scheme for beaten gravity, mind you. Think of that. Beaten gravity. Gravity with an undefeated 46 and no record. The master of disaster. The king of sting. The veritable Carl Weathers of fundamental forces of physics. <laughs> oh, love it. Poor fella, murmured the youth. Well, they found his machine wrecked to pieces just outside of town yesterday. Every bone in his body was broken. I heard the crash myself when the machine fell. It sounded like... I regret nothing except my outdated stance on premarital sex for engaged couples. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, his last words. Panic-stricken, Avison turned away. He pinched himself again. His eyes were wide. He knew. His scalp twitched. At a newsstand, he bought a paper and feverishly read of his own death. 
which ironically had a very slow and repetitive lead up to the finale that made Avison wonder if they had paid the author by the word. The the obituary author, of course. <laughs> the machine, said the account, was broken to pieces. The nameplate on which appeared the word Vulcan had been found, however. Wildly, Avison grasped at every possibility that came to his mind. Coincidence, of course, but what a devilish one. Some aviator had been killed so badly crushed that even his own family had mistaken his identity. And they both just coincidentally had named their aircraft after their favorite rubberization process, of course. <laughs> Avison must hurry out to his home and tell his family that he lived, but must tell Agnes too. But was he alive? He cursed himself as a fool for letting the question come to his mind. But what did he know of the region and state of death? His eyes widened even more at the thought of it. But it couldn't be that. It couldn't. He pricked his chest with a pin. Then he pricked his hand till he brought blood. Now, only three to five weeks, and I'll know if there's tetanus in the afterlife. <laughs> he's, he's got cigars, he's got pins. This guy was prepared. That's all I'm saying. He came in sight of the old church where he had gone to Sunday school as a boy, and where his father had gone before him. The old ivy-grown church, with its sleepy belfry and its quiet lawn. I mean, he brought a bunch of money. I guess he was thinking, boy, I really hope that these aliens accept American dollars in case I need to buy a new suit on their planet. Out in front were many carriages and automobiles. And a sign that read, God answers knee mail, which would not be funny for another 60 years or so. And Very ahead of its time. Still be funny? Hmm. Hmm. The sound of singing came up to him. A funeral dirge. Avison hung back. He was afraid to go on to that church. What if the body in the coffin should be his? Or what if the body was Tom Sawyer's? That would be a wild twist, wouldn't it? I'm Edison Tesla Marshall, author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. Ah. <laughs> uh. They should give you a hero's wage, Douglas. <laughs> he cursed himself again and slowly went on. But he must see the dead man before the coffin was closed. He began to walk swiftly. He climbed the steps and entered the church doors. It was filled with his own friends. Mm, except Raoul from accounting. I always knew he was fake laughing at my Jon Snow impression, and it's really good. I bring a fur coat and everything. <laughs> He just looks sullen and quiet in a corner. Uh, I just um, take off my pants and let people see my ass. All right. Yeah. Popular workmate. <laughs> the sexton looked at him, but did not recognize him. Timidly, he sat down, just beside an acquaintance. The man was weeping quietly. The service was nearing its close when Avison entered. Almost at once, the white-haired old parson said that those who wished might look again at the body. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Amen. Okay, now is the time for anybody with a creepy fascination with corpses to get a good looky-loo before we close this mother down. The people stood up, the young scientist with them. Agnes in black, her face tear-stained, was in front. Near her stood his sister, weeping. Hmm? And to put a positive spin on things, no longer off-limits. I mean, death do us part and all, and then all bets are off. Fair enough. The, the afterlife could be a boon to this guy. He dared not approach them. There was his uncle, all of his cousins. Slowly and wearily, the train of people began to walk past the long coffin of black. Avison followed them. Charles Avison, playboy ghost. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> and welcome. I see you've noticed my ethereal form. Tonight we'll be talking to Norman Mailer, and then Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass are going to stop by and play a few numbers. God, that sounds good on my hi-fi. Have you noticed my bed? It's round. And ghostly. What if it is? 
he whispered. What if it is? He gripped himself and resolved to keep his control. He came slowly up, and the pallbearers saw a young man at the end of the line, one who looked familiar, and yet whom they thought they did not know, one who needed a shave and wore a ridiculous suit of clothes, clench his hands until the nails nearly tore the flesh, and go white as the flowers banked about the coffin. Everson rushed to the open air. Then he pressed his hands to his lips to suppress a scream. It is I, he moaned. It is my own body. And I have let myself go. Oh, my God, lay off the curly fries. Me. <laughs> you know, people say a selfie from down below is the worst view, but now looking at yourself in a coffin, worst mm. way to see yourself. It takes off 20 pounds. <laughs> Of, of Oregon weight. <laughs> and winding away out of the town, the funeral procession had started for the graveyard. Considering everything, Avison kept his self-control well. He resolved that he would not go insane. Oh yeah, that's how it works. I mean, I've resolved Hugh Jackman's gonna be my best friend and no court order can convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Rob. Sorry to have to kind of let you know under these circumstances but uh i would like to take this opportunity to introduce my new podcast just jacking it where (laughs) me and my new best friend talk about how cool i am and what he envies about my life hugh jackman star of just jacking it (laughs) with alan and also hugh jackman i i this is how i hear about this alan this is how i hear about this on the air live to everyone well i i asked him to record a broadway number that he could sing on your voicemail but uh i guess he got too busy with us going skiing in the san moritz for the (sighs) holiday but uh i'm sure he'll get around to it well you know i'm gonna start my own podcast yeah it's, it's gonna be with all the famous people i know like um that guy who owns the deli down the street john yeah yeah, it's going to be John and I, and John and I are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about politics. So there, all right, you guys go just jack it, and we're gonna we're gonna go John it all night. <laughs> just John in it. Just mm. John in it. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. That there had been some monstrous coincidence. That the smooth face in the coffin was not his own, but this reflection was the only thing that preserved his sanity. That day passed, and that night. And still the young man did not sleep. He had secured a room in the hotel, and he tried to forget, in the smoke of many strong cigars, that a ghost could smoke cigars? Can you imagine if one of our listeners was a Philip Morris exec? Do you have any idea how horny they just got reading that (gasps) sentence? Just rising out of their Lazarus pits of congealed human suffering and squealing over a completely untapped ghost market man they could call them life sticks they could market to dead kids alan (laughs) just think of it keep teasing it out in the morning he slept a little this is this is a real travel walk here that day his beard was longer than ever and this together with the thinness of his face disguised him perfectly what would be your advertising slogan to sell ghost cigars to ghost children run oh that's easy it's uh yeah what do you got to lose <laughs> at 10 he caught a train for a nearby city there he could think it out away from agnes and his morning relatives to whom he felt a deadly fear of identifying himself yeah it's horrible to be in the depths of sorrow and find out that somebody very close to you is not actually dead no no one wants that <laughs> no no it's just a tease really come on commit Uh, that's your problem you never commit in the city he secured a hotel room and again tried to think uh where is he getting his money from uh ghost atm yeah that's a ghost atm oh wait i saw an adult film called that too You know what I hate is when people say, 
my ghost pin number. <laughs> hey, people, it's your ghost personal identification number. It's not your ghost personal identification number number. Get it together, ghosts. Come on, people. You're dead ghost kids. Get it together. He was baffled. Wait, this is also, I just want to point out, this is the third hotel room that he's gotten in a short story. Well, he likes to Motel 6 his way around. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Oh, I know. Ghost ATM. He was baffled, bewildered, afraid. The strangeness of everything remained, but not in such a marked degree as in his hometown. Coincidence, he kept repeating. It must be. It, it can't be anything else. After a few days, he began to think of his science again. What if he were taken for dead? He himself knew now that he was alive and well. He ate heartily at the hotel grill. He saw an occasional movie. And his dumps were solid. <laughs> solid, Rob? <laughs> what is science? He's, he, he's investigating the paranormal. He needs to find out whether it's tangible or not, Rob. Oh, oh. Well, I, hope, I hope there's equipment. Okay, involved. well, who's going to do the science then? Are you going to do the science? I job? am not going to do that science, Alan. Okay. But yet, he could not go back to the Avison place, nor to Agnes, at least until the memory of the familiar face in the coffin had faded from the minds of those at home. He shut it out of his own mind. Then he thought of his machine out in the great deserted barn. They had found the wreck of the dead man's machine, and machines do not have ghosts. What about Robocop, though? <laughs> Spent a lot of time thinking about it, Rob. Yeah? What, what, uh, what conclusion have you come to? None. I'm just, just thinking. Oh. You think of Ro Robocop Ghost? Do you think he's, like, just the face? The uh, can, you, can you hush? I'm, I'm, this is Robocop time, Rob. Okay. Okay. Let me think, okay? All right. Yeah, no, keep talking. I'll, I'd like to hear a background buzz while I think about Robocop. Okay, let me, uh, let me get that to you. He felt more himself every day. Finally, he remembered that an observatory in connection with a great university was situated just outside the city. So one day, he had his beard and mustache trimmed, put on a large pair of dark glasses, and went out to talk to the head of the astronomy department. I am Vunden of Heidelberg, he told Gray, the old astronomer, and I would like a position. And if you're wondering why I don't speak German or have an accent, it's uh, simply because I'm a ghost. Wait, shit, no. Uh, what I meant to say was that I'm from Chicago and I'm a ghost. No, no, damn, bad at this. Uh, give me a job. <laughs> Uh, the money part of it is of no importance to me. This did not surprise Gray. He knew many men on the faculty who worked only for the love of it. Oh, yeah. You don't do mass spectronomy for the money and fame, Rob. You do it because you read sci-fi and made a severe miscalculation about how soon humanity would have interstellar starships and need nerds to pilot them. He questioned the young man whose knowledge of the stars he found amazing. Uh, wait, uh, which member of BTS is Jennifer Lawrence secretly dating? <laughs> wow, this is fascinating. How do you know so much? Oh, TMZ. I've never heard of that. Perez Hilton. <laughs> I have heard of him. <laughs> this <is> fascinating. <laughs> amazing, one might say. <laughs> So Gray procured Vunden a position on a low salary, and Davison went to work again at his old love. It was only for a little while, he thought, until he could straighten out things a little better in his mind. The work might make him forget. At least it would end the monotony of idleness. But it came about that he was not long at the observatory. A few weeks after he had obtained his position, there came an eclipse of the sun, that noon, as Avison stared into the eyepiece of the telescope, he saw for an instant, at the edge of the dark rim of the moon, a new planet. The significance of it struck Avison squarely between the eyes. I'm calling it Pluto 2, and y'all can suck it. <laughs> he sat back, staring into space for a few seconds. 
then started up with raised arms. Gray, the old astronomer, found him laughing and crying hysterically. What's the matter, Vunden? he demanded. Matter, matter. Great heavens, began Avison excitedly. Then he calmed himself. I have made the greatest discovery in the scientific world. I've made two of them, in fact. But this one is the greatest in the history of astronomy. Look through the telescope. What is it? The telescope. <laughs> what is it? Question. It's Gray. a telescope. <laughs> what is it? No, you can just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Questioned Gray as he adjusted the glass. Look! Avison rasped. Gray glanced a moment at the tiny orb. The moon hid it as he watched. A new planet! The old man was staggered. Why has it never been seen before? Probably because all you idiots are looking at the eclipse with dark glasses, and I'm the only one smart enough to just stare right at it with a telescope. <laughs> this is why they hired the guy. He's the idea man. I'm so good at uh, spectronomical mystica. Good at it. His face flamed. I can tell you why. It is in perpetual eclipse by the sun, just opposite from us. The once or twice a year it is not eclipsed, probably on account of the eclipse of the Earth's course around the sun, it is too near the sun to be seen. Don't you understand? Don't you? That your theory is unscientific nonsense, easily disproven by basic orbit calculations since the time of Kepler? Yeah, I'm pretty confident I understand, <laughs> fake German guy. <laughs> no, Alan, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. It's too near the sun. During that oh. time of the year. Mm -hmm. Just like our planet gets really close to the sun at least once or twice a year. Does your planet have gravity? <laughs> but why? Oh, I would tell you everything soon. But first, tell me this. Along the 20th of May, was there a kind of meteoric disturbance, a comet? How came you not to notice that? A meteor swept very near the Earth. But tell me... You're not a very good astronomer, are you? I, I guess I should have guessed that when you gave me that letter of recommendation written on the back of an Arby's napkin. <laughs> but, but it was signed Stephen Hawking, so I figured it was real. Yeah, and but he did sign it in art in horsey sauce. <laughs> he did. Yeah, it's a collector's it's item. A down. Beloved scientist recently <laughs> passed away, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah, big Arby's fan. No. Let me go. I won't explain now. I can't. But I will write to you in a day or so. And then, as he hurried out, to think that I should find out the truth at last. It was only a day or so later that Vunden disappeared, as if from the face of the earth. But a mimeographed copy of a strange letter came to every great scientist in the nation. And one letter, the original, came to one recipient, who was not a scientist at all, Agnes Cole. It made many a gray-haired astronomer shake his head unbelievingly, but Agnes understood. The communication read, To Agnes and to the scientific men of the world. FYI, the smooches and XOXO apply to both, so don't feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Just love science. I do not expect you to believe what I have written here. But I only ask that you investigate, and you will then learn that what I say is true. And I, Charles David Avison, of there, not of here, but an equal in mind, ability, and genius of the Charles David Avison who died for science here, of whom you already know. And who, let's be honest, I'm just a little bit better than the equal of, or he'd be writing this letter. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Scientific man? Yeah. Agnes? You know I'm right, right? Okay. I swear to you that it is the truth. If you do not believe, it is of no matter. For even now I feel that perhaps I am doing wrong to add to the knowledge of the world wherein I do not belong. Understand first that there are two earth worlds. In order that you may not confuse them, I will call the one in which I now am here. The other is there. Super simple, super simple. Now hear me, here's. 
There are their travelers from there to here who are here but not here because they're there from there and here they are me. Here, 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 here. Nice. Both were thrown off from the sun as spiral nebula at the same instant. Here went one direction and there the other. Both being of the same size, gravity overcame the centrifugal force at exactly the same distance in space from the sun. Like a cosmic double skip it that broke in the middle a couple minutes after you got it for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. In cosmic time. In cosmic time, a couple minutes after Christmas. You know, it's funny. Very soon after the Big Bang. What's, what's funny, there... Uh, Skippets were really well made and last a long time. The two cooled about the same time, of course. Their oceans formed coincidentally. And the first germs of life appeared upon there at the identical instant that they appeared here. I've already told you enough to enable you to understand what occurred. There is no fate or chance in life. Everything is cause and effect, cause and effect. So as life developed there, its exact counterpart developed here. For every caveman there, one was here, his exact counterpart in appearance. Everything that he did or thought or felt, the caveman here did or thought or felt at the same time. And so it was through the ages. For every dinosaur extinction, another one. For every untimely cancellation of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, another one. For every unexpected NBC pickup of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, another one. For every DJ Khaled song where he says another one, another, another one, one. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, Ouroboros? Is that the name? How do you say yeah, that? that's, that's what I always think of with DJ Khaled. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He is an Ouroboros. <laughs> uh, when I, Charles David Avison, was born there, Charles David Avison was born here. When he began to love, I began to love. And when his mom started knocking on his door and pausing in case he was loving, my mom started knocking on my door and pausing in case I was loving. <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing coincidence. It's symmetry. The symmetry, the symmetry of young boy. <laughs> well, no, okay, no. no Wait a minute. That's, no. no, not nope. what I, Nope, that is Sorry, not what nope. this podcast stands for. Okay, no, keep, please. Next sentence. I'm just saying, Alan, Next sentence, Can you get please. that, say that one more time, though? I didn't, I, so I can isolate it so we can never say it again. Asshole. <laughs> when he made that greatest discovery of all ages, the S waves, which, conducted through a certain substance, will render it immune to the attraction of gravity. I made it there. Together, we built spherical machines, and at the sec same second, christened them the Vulcan. I will not tell here of my discovery, but will leave it for someone else to make. <laughs> One yeah. who belongs on this here of yours, your world, has had its Avison. My world still awaits the benefits accruing from the discoveries of its own Avison. Well, here we go. Avison is getting angry. <laughs> Just, uh, on the same day, we each made trial flights. I there on that faraway counterpart world, and he here. Oh, not confusing at all. No. Good. Keep going. Keep when he going. goes there, does everything switch back to he's here and then this is there? Yeah, it's all a relative uh, nomenclature. I mean, the Rosetta Stone's going to be here, and then the other side it's going to say here. <laughs> a few months later, on the 16th of May, we left our worlds. He left here and I left there, and each of us floated away toward the stars. Each of us had air for many days and food enough. But then, for the first time, something happened there that did not happen here. For the first time, the dualism was broken. A meteor came near there when one did not come here. My Vulcan was attracted to it by gravity. 
And before I could throw the S-waves into the metal covering to render us immune, I was sweeping after it at a terrific pace, faster than our finite minds can conceive. I became unconscious then. Why? I do not know. I also don't know why a meteor has never happened before in the history of our solar system, a point which is crucial to my theory. But uh, you know, I'll leave that to somebody from here to figure out, dorks. <laughs> and now I see what happened. The meteor carried me across that infinite expanse to a point where the gravity of this world began to grip me. I began to fall. I remember now that when I wakened, the sea was below me. I remember that I threw on the S-waves just in time and floated down to safety. I do not know how the other Charles Avison of here fell to his death. I know that his machine was as good as mine, for the laws of cause and effect ordered it so. I can only attribute his fall to some influence on this meteor, this monstrous disturber out of space. The meteor probably never struck the earth. It might now be buried deep in the cold surface of the moon. The moon, which there is uh, definitely another exact replica of, I guess. Huh. I just kind of realized that now at the end of writing my story, but uh, you've, you've suspended your disbelief this far, so whatever, man. <sighs> this is the story that dares to say, eh, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let some other identical worm figure it out. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, you know, in... Uh... Over there, his name uh -huh. is Tesla Edison Marshall. No. <laughs> That's not how it works. Yeah, his name is um, Voltaire Warrant Marshall. Uh, <laughs> no. Slaughter. Slaughter. Voltaire Slaughter Marshall. <laughs> it's up all night. <sighs> Sleeping all day. I have no place in this world of yours. I am a stranger here. In a strange land. Actually, you know, it's pr pretty pretty similar, to be honest, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you take my money, uh, you got cigars, you got movies. Everyone's named the same thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. If I stay here, the old dualism will be broken still more, and our two worlds would soon become most different places. It is broken anyway now. For here, for there is a man's body beneath the grass of here, that is not there. So you know what? Um, just for funsies, I'm gonna step on some butterflies on my way out. <laughs> uh, when you get the yeah, and like the letters not to have affected anything too. This guy's just being a dick about it. Yeah. When you get this, I will have boarded my Vulcan and will have started out into that strange, wonderful maze of worlds. Perhaps I will go home. Or perhaps to a new world. Perhaps I will not get anywhere. But I do not care. I would die out there among the stars. Or perhaps on their unknown surfaces. The greatest voyager that the worlds have ever known. P.S. I guess that leaves both my engagements a little up in the air. So let's just say we're on a break. And we're both free to sleep with any sexy space aliens we come across. And also people from alternate Earths, but uh, not the same Earths, because we might run into them at parties, and that would be super uncomfortable. And that goes for scientists, too. Love, Avison. The end. <laughs> I don't know if it was uh, if it's the uh, the marijuana smoke coming in from outside of my hotel room window or <laughs> this story, but uh, I'm not sure what I learned here, Alan. You think over there um, the story was entertaining, Rob? No, it has to be the same, Alan. Otherwise, chaos. Uh, chaos. What do you think the moral of the story was, Alan? Moral? No, I'd just like to, to give a shout out to their me. We did it, brother. 
doubled our salary, had two more kids, and officially got laid twice before turning 21. Keep crushing it, there me. Oh, that's uh, it's a beautiful sentiment, Alan. What did you uh, think the moral was, Ron? I think the moral of the story is that this guy does not understand the effect part of cause and effect very well. <laughs> okay. That's what I think. Well, I, uh, I think that about does it for, for this episode, Alan. It's, I don't know if we're here or there, but I know it has to end. So that about does it. I hope everybody will join us next time here on a, another interrupted Oh, okay. I remember. All right. This is this is the one with the dumb premise and the fake made up moral at the end. What was it? Uh, uh, interrupted tales. <laughs>